It does not meet the test of a currency. It, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not around in 10 or 20 years. It's, I think it's primarily going to be a means of, of doing illegal transactions. If you're stupid enough to buy it, you'll pay the price for it one day. Cryptocurrencies are the first step to a world with a global programmable money. There are still so many misconceptions, and none of us knows what the future holds. But one thing is certain, the future is clearly crypto. Welcome to episode four of Clearly Crypto. I'm your host, Corey. Yep, and I'm Aaron, back with you guys. Hey, good to be back with you. Yeah, so this uh, this time we're going to take a, a tackle at a deep dive and kind of go a little bit deeper into uh, what Bitcoin is and a little bit about how it works and uh, the difference in the security model. So we're used to the traditional security model that we'll look at a little bit and then a little bit difference, the security through obscurity of Bitcoin and why that's important. Yeah, you're so. going to make my brain hurt today, aren't you? That's my goal. If I can, <laughs> then I know I've done well. So uh, fair warning up front, there's going to be a little bit of math talk oh, and things involved, numbers, big, large numbers, but um, it's okay. You guys hang with us and I, I promise it'll be okay. It's pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, I it, hope so. We're going to give you some warm and fuzzies about investing your, your hard-earned cash into cryptocurrency. Yeah, and I think it's actually really uh, good timing. I don't, if anybody's been paying attention to crypto news, Coinbase was recently in the news again for overcharging Coinbase. their customers sometimes uh, upwards of 50x. So if you've had a $1,000 transaction that you authorized, in some cases, Coinbase charged $50,000 or that same transaction 50 times and completely emptied out people's bank accounts and wiped them out. So I actually, I had a transaction I did like a month ago and boom, it shows up twice in my bank account. I didn't do anything. I sat there and watched it for a Mm -hmm. couple of days. It reversed it. But if they had charged me over and over again, my bank account would have been gone and I'd be trying to pay bills with nothing and right yeah it could create some problems so it's kind of interesting to look at the current model we have as opposed to what the model that cryptocurrency holds because people don't think about it because it's something that we do every day but when you authorize a payment you're giving them all your credit card or bank account information the you know the secret code on the back the three digit Mm -hmm. cvv and then just trusting that company that they're not going to make a mistake or act in malice and just yeah. take what they're supposed to. It's the equivalent of opening your wallet and turning your head and saying, please just take the amount of money <laughs> that I owe you, complete stranger on the internet. So, well, that's what it's like having one foot in the legacy system. Yeah, so that's that's a, a pull system where you're just giving them all your information and letting them take whatever they want or what you authorize, but obviously that doesn't always work out that way. Oh, yeah. As opposed to a push where you authorize the payment, you send it when you you want to how much you want to and that's why we're doing a deep dive into security that's right so stay tuned and enjoy all right we're about to get our feet wet with a little bit of a deep dive yeah all right aaron i've got on my wetsuit i've got my diving tanks and my oxygen regulator is set let's, let's go do some diving all right let's see if we can stay afloat so security through obscurity right 
what are we talking about here? So I guess to understand the Bitcoin model, we kind of have to look at the traditional banking system first. Okay. And um, really, traditional banks, they use the same type of encryption or similar encryption that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies use. However, as we've talked about in the past, they have um, custodial wallets. So when you have your money with a bank, it's not really your money. The bank keeps it. They keep it in their data centers and they aggregate this data. So they have these huge data centers full of servers and it has everybody's personal information, all of their bank account information, and that's where they store it. Uh Um, Because, you know, people, when they hear digital currency, they think, oh, there's some crazy new thing. But no, that's what we have in the traditional system is digital currency. You know, most of the currency in existence is just ones and zeros in, you know, data centers that these uh, large banks own and operate. So, but what happens when you do that is you create, again, a honeypot. So if you have you know, 10 million customers bank information and Mm -hmm. uh, money in digital form stored there, you create more incentives for hackers to try to attack that. Right. Um, And also there's a huge risk, I think probably a greater risk for physical security. Uh You have a lot of people that have access to those data centers and you kind of open yourself up for um, people looking for ways to get in. Get some malware on their system. Exactly. And we see that happening all the time. Banks are basically hiding behind passwords and firewalls and that kind of stuff because banks start off with physical security and then over time they've had to start layering this other stuff on so it's not inherent to the currency they're dealing with it's 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 this cobbled together thing over time like oh we got destroyed here we better fix this little part yeah exactly so what bitcoin does is it kind of changes that um, security model and again it puts the onus back on the individual so you're Coins, well, I guess first it, maybe we need to step, take a step back and, and look at what Bitcoins actually are. Yeah. So when you have a wallet, you don't actually hold any Bitcoins in that wallet. There's right. no such thing as a Bitcoin. It's just a unit of account on the ledger. But I see pictures of them all the time. Yeah, you see those nice shiny <laughs> golden ones, the, the little trinkets and tokens. Um, but they don't actually exist. So you don't hold them in your wallet and really you don't actually even send them to anyone. So it's just a... As we talked about before, it's an open ledger. Uh, Right. Everybody's keeping track of the ledger. And when you make a Bitcoin transaction, all you're doing is signing with your digital signature that you authorize somebody else to have those. And then it deducts from your your balance and and adds it to somebody else's. Okay. So... We talked the, the the old security model that we're all working with right now. Basically, mm-hmm. it's all aggregated into their servers there. So they're hiding behind the firewalls. They have to worry right. about physical security. Somebody walking in with a USB drive and throwing some malware in there or some idiot opening an email attachment. And now they're, you have access to all the bank's money, which right. we see Chase, Citibank, all these people have gotten hacked and mm-hmm. our information's gotten stolen and whatnot. So... Yep, it happens, it'll continue to happen. There's nothing they can do. They can't stop it from happening. And this is with not just banks, but uh, basically every company or large organization that relies on the storage and aggregation of you know, large amounts of data. They're just, it's, it's a honeypot. They're just waiting to get attacked. Okay, so the, with the new that way with mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and, and which what blazed the trail for everybody else, that's the same type right. model everybody else is working off on. So when we say bit- Bitcoin, we're really talking all cryptocurrencies. Yeah, you could say I mean, cryptocurrencies roughly. as a whole. Right. Okay. The security models vary uh, slightly from right. currency to currency, but they all are kind of based off of this cryptography and this math that, okay. that make them work. Okay. So that's where you're saying that now no, no longer am I giving all of my money to one ent- entity. I actually 
have the keys to that money myself. Exactly. So you have you have bank level security is what you have. Okay. Because through the cryptography and the math that we'll get into here in just a little bit, you can create that same, if not better, um, digital security that the banks have. But uh, it's also better because nobody necessarily knows or can tie an identity to that. Mm-hmm. So you see those huge buildings, the the Citibank, Chase, whatever. You know that they're storing large amounts of data in there, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, so you know that, hey, we can attack this. We know where to attack. When you see a Bitcoin address, even if you see that it has you know, a billion dollars um, worth of, of Bitcoins in it, mm-hmm. you still don't necessarily know who that belongs to. So at that point, the only way you could really attack that is to go straight at it and attack uh, the cryptography. So a full frontal attack, not getting around somebody's passwords and stuff, because right. you don't know who I am. You can't come pick my life apart and figure out my stuff. Exactly. Doing a physical uh, attack, breaking okay. in or something. You can try to brute force the, the cryptography, and we'll talk about that, but that's that's not going to happen. <laughs> Short story. It's not possible. Not happen. Right. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So. So let's jump into that a little bit. Then, yeah. I guess the uh, the cryptography and the uh, the amazing math. Sure. I was never uh, a huge math buff. I know some people really think it's it's awesome. Not me. However, when it comes to Bitcoin, the math that's involved in making the system work, I think actually is pretty incredible. And uh, it's really eloquent, elegant, the way that it's put together uh, to make the system work. So when you have, let's take a look at what is a private key and a public key. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so all a private key is, is a really, really, really big number. How and big if you're is able it? to guess my big number, <laughs> then you can essentially have access to all of my Bitcoin or steal it or yeah. whatever cryptocurrency. Computers can do that though, right? No, they can't. <laughs> they could try, um, but it's not going to happen. So let's talk about how big of a number is it. So. We're dealing in numbers that are in the quindecillions. So when you generate a, a Bitcoin uh, private key, all it is is a number that's that's huge. We're talking in quindecillions. That's like 10 to the 48th power. I can't even comprehend how you big can't. that is. I can't. No, most people can't. In fact, even when you know what you're talking about and you think you can comprehend it, I think most people probably still fall short. So yeah. let's back it up a little bit and talk about how big those numbers are. So have you ever heard of a, uh, a sextillion yeah, I mean, I've heard it. Heard right. it. So, if you guys have ever heard of Wolfram Alpha, it's a website, and uh, they're kind of centered around math, but they have a lot of really cool tools, and they do some really fun estimations and things on on numbers, large numbers. And Wolfram Wolfram Alpha says that a sextillion is about the equivalent of grains of sand on the Earth. That's a couple. So that's a couple. So that's a lot. You think about every grain of sand, every, every beach, ocean, every, every desert. Underneath every ocean. Yeah, the entire planet, every grain of sand, all of those that's, you know, somewhere in the uh, the sextillions, right? So if you start thinking about that, well, can all the computers in the world, even if they work together, guess a number that was that large? For one particular... Yeah, so this is okay. Let me back this for me and my little brain. Okay. So we're talking... The sextillion number. That's mm. how big this number is we're talking no. about? No. This pales in comparison to the large numbers that, that Bitcoin uses. I'm just trying to give you a starting point. Oh, geez. So so, so we're, we to, to get into my Bitcoin account right. or to hack my Bitcoin, you have to guess this number that's... That's all you have to do is you ...larger just have to guess than all the grains of sand on the earth. Not just larger than that, but if you take that number and you cube it, you're still not even close. So if you took every grain of sand on Earth, and then you turned that grain of sand into another Earth, 
and then calculated all of those grains of sand, your number is still infinitesimally small compared to the numbers that, that Bitcoin uses. Holy crap. And I know it's really hard to wrap your brain around because you start thinking about, well, how many grains of sand on each planet that represents a grain of yeah. sand? And even then, you're still not even halfway there. <laughs> so that's all Bitcoin is. It uses cryptography. It uses math to give you a, a number base that is so enormous that it's virtually impossible to generate or guess somebody's private key. And again, all it is is, is a number. Um, so if you look at um, a Bitcoin private key, it's 64 characters long that hex base 58 converts your private say, key into yeah. an integer how do we get how do, how do i get my own private sexta cablillion jillion <laughs> right. number so a lot of the 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 wallets out there whether you're using a hardware wallet or a mobile wallet or whatever they have again it's more math and cryptography but they basically they have a way to randomly generate your number okay but if you're concerned about that and you don't think that that's safe enough you can actually take a, a coin and you can flip that coin 160 times and if you say tails is one and heads is zero uh -huh. or vice versa it doesn't matter uh -huh. uh, you flip it 160 times you write down each what it is whether uh -huh. it's a one or a zero all the way out and then you can plug that binary uh code essentially into a function that will turn it into um a bitcoin private key <laughs> and that gives you perfect security because no one will ever generate that 160 digit ones or zeros Again, it's it, it's so highly improbable. You can't say it's impossible, but it's so highly improbable that it's impossible. It's like winning the Powerball a thousand times in a row and then getting attacked by a shark while getting struck by lightning and surviving and winning a thousand times in a row again. <laughs> and even then, I, I'm not sure that the odds are, are on par. So it's kind of difficult to think about. But when you start thinking about numbers that large that... As soon as you generate a, a key, and you can generate them as fast as you can click. There's uh -huh. software out there. You can generate uh, paper wallets or different wallets. And as fast as you can click generate a, a private key, it'll generate a number that's never been seen before, ever in the history of the world, uh -huh. and never, ever will ever be seen again. So even if you're like, if you put every computer in, on the earth to work on finding one number that I have running through all, because you'd have to just start at the beginning of that and run it from one all the way up to the... Google a blah number. Yeah, the quindecillions. The yeah. The, into the quindecillions. That's probably going to take billions of years. Yeah, I think it's a number with like 64 zeros after it. Yeah, exactly. There's not, there's, there's people that have tried to calculate this and, and run through, and it's kind of fun to look at it, but there's estimates that there's not enough energy in our solar system to be able to flip the ones and zeros enough to guess a private key. Wow. There's not enough iron on planet Earth to generate <laughs> enough hardware to to attack this um and you hear people make the arguments well what about when they uh develop a quantum computer yeah which is still I've just that argument before i do anything about it right so it's still uh, quantum computers are still theoretical um but if one does get developed in the future there's proposed changes to the algorithm that yeah. they could be quantum hard so that right well even a quantum computer even a quantum computer to... i know a little bit i've been following that a little bit it's still it's not magic you right. can just do more than one computation at a time. Yeah. And it's still going to have to go through all of the levels of development that current computers have. Right. In theory, you could do it much faster and potentially crack one, but then you just... Yeah, a again, million years instead encryption. of three billion. Right. But here's what people don't... They say, okay, well, what if Bitcoin gets hacked? Well, if Bitcoin gets hacked, if the underlying te 
technology, the cryptography is uh-huh. broken, then everything is broken. Right. Every government agency, the NSA, every bank account, every website, everything is broken. There's no the internet is broken. There's no more security <laughs> at all for anything. So Well, even if somebody got in right now and like at this point where we are right now with Bitcoin and started messing with everything that happens after this, can they could they even go back and change all the transactions that have happened? So wouldn't we know at least on this date, boom, from there on we need to reset? Yes, yeah, so you could because you of could, the blockchain. Right. Exactly. So you would have to be able to gain control, like 51% of the hash power uh-huh. uh, across the entire globe. And then you would have to be faster than everybody else. Because even if you win that race and you fork Bitcoin, so you kind of change a, change a transaction in the past and, and start creating new blocks, uh-huh. um, you have to maintain the ability to do that while everybody else is still mining on a different chain. So. It, wow. It's not theoretically possible. I mean, it is theoretically possible, but in practice, it's not going to happen. So so let's talk about that. We say that, you know, you hear the, the argument that Bitcoin's not backed by anything. Yeah. But it's just backed by, by different things. It's backed by math, cryptography, and uh, it's also backed by the laws of thermodynamics, which is exactly what we're talking about. How much electricity mm-hmm. it takes to secure the network, how much it would take to, to guess a private key, Yeah, all those types of things. So... Yeah, so just to back it up a little bit, and again, kind of put it into perspective how big the uh, the numbers are that we're talking about. If I don't know if you've ever heard or if you've seen anybody talk about a deck of cards being shuffled. I, I think in passing at some point. Right. So it's it's been said that you know you have 52 cards in a deck of cards. If you shuffle them properly, shuffle them very thoroughly, um, again, there's extremely high likelihood that that has never been seen before and never will be seen again the order that all those cards are in and again that pales in comparison yeah. to the the numbers that we're talking about because we're only talking 52 cards right so 52 possible that's not even right 52 possible combinations no, there's, it's, there's it's to i know it's so <laughs> math is not my friend right. <laughs> So, so a lot of different combinations, um, and that's that's where you get the security through obscurity. It's just such an obscure number mm-hmm. that nobody's ever going to guess it. They can't guess it. It's it's too big, and you all the computers working together in the world uh-huh. would never be able to guess that number. It's wow. just too too big. And this is all my private key. That's your private key. Yep. So I'm the owner of a, wor- a number that no one will ever be able to guess. Right. So when you see your That's number, my security. and it's you know three Z one B two L F M zero zero. That's just, um, again, a different representation of that number. Yeah, because that's not my actual number. That's just more or less the binary or what... Isn't that where that hash 58 or the... What was the... Yeah, the hex base 58 converts it into an integer. Yeah, so your private key is is a number, uh, a really large number, but it's easier to represent when you use that and basically that's what you do is you can take that that huge quindecillions number and and stuff that into your hex base 58 it's just a a, basically a hash function right and then that spits out your jumbled you know 3zq12 blah blah blah. yeah but it's a unique identifier that's you know that is represents what that number is right all right so basically what we're saying here is as opposed to a bank hanging on to my money in Facing all the things that they face. I, my one little individual, have this awesome power that no one's ever going to be able to get into my own money because 
it's not being held custodially right. in a custodial kind of a way by a bank. I have the codes to what I own. Yep. And, and no then, one else does. If somebody can guess that number, they can just take it. They can just say, nope, those belong to me now because they have your private key and they can sign it. But again, the the security behind it is they'll never be able to guess that number. It's just wow. too massive. Um, it's it's really difficult to even comprehend numbers that are that big. But Yeah, it is. Very. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the, I guess, genius or the, the, was the revolutionary thing about cryptocurrencies, about Bitcoin that started all of it, that it moved that power away from a bank right. to the individual. Yeah, that's just part of the equation. There are several problems that it solved, the problem of distributed consensus. Uh-huh. And that's where the, the mining and the... I mean, because cryptography has been around for a long time, sure. since the 60s, 70s. Um, you know, it's been developed. People have been messing with this probably even yeah. before yeah, that. You know where Alan Turing is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, there's nothing new about cryptography, and obviously numbers have been around for a long time. Uh, but the problem that Bitcoin solved was how do we make it decentralized? So how do we take this large number, make it cryptographically you know, sound so that mm-hmm. it's really difficult to hack and guess this number, but that's just part of the equation. Then right. the other part you get to is, okay, so how do we make sure that you don't double spend? Okay. And that's really the 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 key behind it that makes Bitcoin work and that was revolutionary because they've tried, you know, we've talked about it. There's been different attempts at digital cash and things like that. Yeah. But if it's digital, you can copy it, right? Sure. You can send 10 coins to me and 10 coins to somebody else. So this is where mining comes in. And, and mining is... Um, it's not about the reward of Bitcoin, although that's great that they get that. Mm -hmm. The whole point of mining is to order the transactions in such a way that you can't double spend. Okay. Makes it impossible. And it works through network consensus. So I guess we'll back up a little bit and kind of explain how that works. Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) If I can, it's, it's a complex, uh, subject, but. So once you have your your private key, um, you have to have a public address, right? So people need to be able to find me, or I need to be able to give something to somebody so that they have my address, right? Not, yeah. So here's another part of the the math and the the cryptography genius. So Bitcoin uses something called RIPEMD one sixty SECP two five six blah 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 blah. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> it's the elliptic curve um, algorithm. Okay, and. All that does is it takes your private key and it puts it into this elliptic curve, this cryptography, and it spits out a public key on the other end. Hmm. So that's your your public address or your public key that and that's where your your coins are. That's what your coins are associated with. Okay. Okay. So that's the address to my house, but they don't have the key to my house. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Okay. But what's genius about that is that it's that's a one-way door, what they call in math, it's, it's a trap door. So you can always, with 100% certainty, create a public key from a mm-hmm. private key, but there's no way to go backwards. Okay. So there's no way to say, oh, hey, look, this public key has all these Bitcoins. All I got to do is reverse engineer this cryptography, and then I'll have the private key. Okay. Um, it's been shown... 
time and time again through mathematics. It's called clock math, which is really confusing. Um, I tried to Google clock math, and I still don't get it. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> but I know that there's enough smart people and MIT professors in yeah. mathematics that have proven it time again that it's it's a trap door. So you can use cryptography and you know organize it in such a way that you put it in, and you'll get the same thing out on the other end, but you can't go backwards. You can't reverse engineer hmm, One-way valve. Yep, just a one-way valve. So you put this number in, you send it through the elliptic curve, boom, you get your, your public address or your public key. Okay. This is the Clearly Crypto Podcast. All right, so just to do a little bit of a recap about what we talked about. So we talked about how these gigantically enormous numbers mm. make my private key completely safe. Yep. And there is a algorithm that they can go through to generate a public key, which is a one-way valve for access to send money to my account. Right. So I want to send a transaction. What is that? How does that, what does it look like? Okay. Well, okay. So let's see. When you send a Bitcoin transaction, you are essentially broadcasting to the network that you want to send one Bitcoin from my public key or my public address mm-hmm. to Corey's public address. Okay. Um, and then obviously you need a signature. You need a digital signature because if there wasn't anything to verify that I was the authentic owner of uh-huh. that, then anybody could just move Bitcoin from anyone else's account. So it uses a, a digital signature and that's again, another um, hash function that basically proves that you own that private key without divulging any of the information of that private key. But you can still, anybody that's looking at that can verify that, yes, I absolutely do own that, you know, the private key behind that so right. I can authorize that okay. uh, transaction. You can kind of think of it similar to, and if you've ever had an ID that has a chip card implanted in it, yeah. and you need that to log onto your computer or an encrypt an email, it's kind of the same thing. In fact, it uses uh, SHA-256, the same type of encryption to do the same thing. You're creating a digital signature that people can look at and verify, okay, yeah, that's you, without giving away your digital signature. All right, okay. So now you've got this transaction that's been broadcasted to the network, right? Right. And you've got thousands of these going on all the time. Everybody's broadcasting transactions. So when you do that, it goes into the mempool or the memory pool, and that's basically just waiting to get added to the next blockchain. Okay. Block in the so chain. that's where everybody's fighting to stick that transaction into the part of the block. So yeah, that's where they're. Let's see, what are they doing? They're probably. I'm just going to tell me where okay. I'm wrong on this. No. So I, I broadcast way. this transaction. It goes out to the entire network, mm-hmm. and they're going to authenticate that it's a real public address that's going to and from. Mm-hmm. That the signature on it is authentic to me, mm-hmm. and then they're going to place it into the blockchain. So that it's a recorded transaction, and now that's set in stone. Right. Am I that's, close? Yeah, that's pretty pretty much accurate um, on how that works. So how they do this, though, is another complicated... So when miners are looking to create another block, really what they're trying to do is to, again, guess another number. Mm-hmm. This is different from guessing the number of the, the private key, but... They basically, they take all the transactions so they can pick and choose which transactions they want to include in the next block. 
Hmm. And the way they do this is through fees. So miners get rewarded by completing a block with uh, the issuance of new Bitcoin, but they also get whichever fees are associated with those transactions. Okay. So you can pick to and choose what type of fee you want to pay based on how quickly you want your transaction to be included in the blockchain. Hmm. Okay. So, you so could, if I want VIP service, I can say I'm going to pay X amount. Yeah. If you're... If you are sending a million dollars or you're buying a car or whatever, you know, that's that's pretty important. You want that included in the next block. Um, you can pay a, a higher transaction fee than what the average transaction fee on the network is and pretty much guarantee that you're going to be included in the next block because the miners are going to want to include your transaction because they'll get rewarded with right. that transaction okay. fee. Could that... And this is the skeptic in me. Could that ever lead to just runaway transaction fees? Well, it's a it's a competitive market. It's a it's a fee based market. So again, you're going back into market forces and whatever you're willing to pay for. So if I don't have, if I attach very pennies to it, mm-hmm. it's eventually going to get done. Well, even right now. So let's. I guess we'll take a snapshot where we're at today. The transaction fees have dropped again back down to between like 10 to 15 cents to be included in the next block when we went and had pizza the other night yeah i think i put a uh 10 satoshi per bite Uh fee and that was like 12 or 13 cents okay and it got picked up right away yeah so if you look at the the mempool and the size of uh transactions backlog of transactions there's a lot of theories out there that people were trying to tarnish bitcoin there was a, a collusion you know an attack on the network uh, to basically create spam transactions where they're just generating all kinds of really cheap transactions mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. to fill up the, the the mempool. And then when you have a lot of transactions, yes, then the fees go up because okay. there's so many people fighting to get included into the next block that that's going to raise okay. the, the overall I just worry about fee. it shutting out your average person that doesn't have a whole lot of capital to be dealing with. And now I don't want to be losing... a. a a decent portion of all if i'm doing a million dollar transaction i can probably afford to pay a hundred dollars to get it done real quick right if i'm making thirty thousand equivalent dollars a month a year mm-hmm. i'm not going to be looking to spend that much for a freaking <laughs> transaction well I, I think this could probably be a whole nother episode of deep okay. dive talking about transaction fees and okay. forks and what bitcoin cash okay tried to accomplish and uh second layer scaling the lightning network so we're getting that's far whole, off topic yeah we're getting way <laughs> off topic on that but well obviously i'm interested hey maybe just, you guys can tell us if that's interesting to you because that 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 concerns me it really yeah it, it honestly as a consumer mm-hmm it concerns me. No, and, and it should. You don't want to overpay for your no. transactions. It I thought that was part sense. of the whole point of all this. Right. One of the points of all this. Right. But that's a whole nother okay. onion that we'll tear into okay. later. Can we find our way back to, I think to the so. original trail? So we were talking about um, confirming transactions. So yes. everybody's trying to get their transactions confirmed. Miners are now trying to... Um, so they're going to take out you know whichever transactions that they want stuff them into a block and then they're trying to guess a number Mm -hmm. that when you run it through again another math function Mm -hmm. um, if it comes out below a certain value then you've essentially solved this math problem and that those transactions then get stamped into the blockchain and you get rewarded with the issuance of new bitcoin so pretty crazy Um, yeah a little bit but it's really (laughs) 
the way that it that it's set up is designed to prevent any type of double spins or anything like that. And, right. and it does work. It's security through energy, the amount of energy that it takes to actually find the answer to that math mm-hmm. question mm-hmm. and mine those those bitcoins. So frankly it's not worth my time to brute force somebody's no. transaction. It's not. So let's let's look at that. So what does it take to actually mine a, the next block in the in the Bitcoin blockchain? Well, every 10 minutes, a, a block gets mined. About every 10 minutes, somebody finds the answer to this math problem. See, right now... So currently, I looked at this yesterday. The current hashing power of the uh, Bitcoin network is about 23 million terahashes per second. And a terahash is a trillion. So there's 23 million trillion guesses per second where people are trying to solve they they got all these computers Uh these bitcoin miners around the world and huge data centers and people that mine in their garage so the combined power of that network is 23 million trillion guesses per second that's a lot of computing power yes and on average it takes about 10 minutes for somebody to guess that correctly, uh-huh. uh, once they get the correct value, they broadcast it and say, hey, I've got this. I've put all these uh, transactions uh-huh. into this block and I've come up with the right checksum and it's below this value. Everybody verify and everybody does that. And then the race starts over. <laughs> that's so insane. that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of hashes, though. That's a crazy, crazy amount. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even in that that that. That obviously leads into another topic for a deep dive, which yeah. would be, that is a lot of computing power. What kind of electricity cost, resources, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's a whole other deep dive at some <laughs> point, because I know that's been a topic too, but with, with cryptocurrencies is what's the environmental cost? Yeah, that's actually something I do want to talk about. Not today, but I think that's really interesting to look at that. And um, Bitcoin is actually, could be solving the green energy problem and crisis because it's decentralizing the production of energy but we'll talk about that another day hmm. so but then we so you go back into looking at what it would take to crack a a bitcoin private key mm-hmm. if you had the computing resources to do that this is where the game theory of bitcoin comes into play you know would you rather spend all of that resources trying to crack my private key so that you could take the bitcoins that i have or could you just put that into trying to solve the mining problem oh. and being rewarded steadily oh, okay. with a higher percentage. So that's where the game theory and it kind of comes into play where it makes more sense. It's more, it's more profitable, more profitable to play by the rules than exactly, it is to try to break them. Than to try to break them. Yep. It'd be huh. because you could, if you had it, an enormous amount of mining power and you had, you know, a computer that could do that, you could just try to guess the, you know, you could mine with it. I'm going to make a lot more money yeah. by, playing the game that right. i am cheating at the game right hmm. and most people never have a chance at individually solving a block so what kind of sprang up um i think maybe in 2012 or even 11 mm-hmm. are what are called bitcoin mining pools okay so if you have a bitcoin mining pool which is basically an organization that pools all of the miners resources together right and then when somebody in that mining pool 
solves the equation, uh-huh. everybody that's contributing to that mining pool gets a proportional reward. Oh, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. yeah, a collective. So you yeah distribute the the profits back to the people that put the work into it. Right. So if you went out and bought you know a, a small uh, miner today, an, an ant miner S nine, you would never be able to solve. <laughs> the odds are you'll never solve a uh, you know make. You'd never mine a, a block. Yeah. Um, but you can contribute that to a mining pool and get rewarded with steady, small, incremental right, right. rewards. You okay. Know, just by com- putting your, your computing power towards that. <laughs> okay. that That's good. That's a little bit more of the democratization of things. So, yeah. Because it is so enormously, we're going to get off topic a little bit, okay. but you're putting so much time and energy into it. No one person is going to really be able, unless they have vast resources, going to be able to get these blocks. So you might as well parse it out a bunch of, amongst a bunch of people that want to work together. Right. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. I like yeah, that. Yeah. You strengthen the network because you have more people contributing towards it. Yeah. You know, and that's really what the the strength of the network relies on is the is the mining. That's mm-hmm. what secures everything. If everybody decided tomorrow that they were going to stop mining Bitcoin which is not going to happen. But if, if that were the case, then you could start mining and you could rewrite the whole blockchain if you wanted to. Wow. But because everybody is mining and, and confirming those transactions is going with the, the honest chain, the longest chain within that, then uh, that's what keeps it secure. So, huh. Okay. So that's how we write my transaction? Yeah. Roughly? Very, yeah. Very <laughs> kind of high level without getting way too deep into it. I mean, to be honest, this is this is a very difficult subject. Mm-hmm. Um, just to grasp all the crypto, cryptographic mathematics and all that right. behind all of it, it's it's perplexing to me. It'd be kind of like trying to figure out our current system. Yeah, it is. Which is weird because that's, that's what we're doing. I mean, we're trying to get everybody the warm and fuzzies here, really, is what we're doing. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's kind of fun to talk well, about, yeah, at least I, I think so. But you, but you don't have to understand any of it. Yeah. The same reason why you can get on an airplane without understanding Bernoulli's Law and, you know, fly <laughs> across, you know, the globe. Exactly. As long as you know, and that's why specialization exists. There's people that are computer science experts, Mm -hmm. mathematicians, cryptographers, and when it's independently reviewed and everybody comes to the consensus that, yeah, this is sound logic, it's sound math, it works. And then also another, I guess... um, you know, proof that it, that it can't be hacked is that it hasn't been hacked. Right. Nobody has broken the encryption because mm-hmm. if they had... Well, and that was know. a big selling point for me before I got into crypto mm-hmm. is it, me and my wife. Because I know we went round and round and round and round and round yeah. about this. Like, but what if somebody... But what if somebody does this? But what if somebody does this other thing? Because I wanted to know that my money was safe. Right. I didn't want to just drop a grand and it be gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So... Knowing at least a little bit about of it, about it, having just a little bit of knowledge to where I can parse out some of it, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I will, I, makes me help, helps me feel secure. No, yeah, I'm one thing. I'm not. I'm worried about a lot of things with cryptocurrency, but the security of my transactions and my wallet—that's not one of them. Right. Which is, I think, kind of the whole point of what we're getting at. But it's amazing getting into kind of understanding the nuts and bolts of it. And, right. And How it works, why it works. Yeah. All that stuff. I mean, yeah, it's nerd stuff. Let's be honest. <laughs> totally is. Totally yeah. honest. Talking about math and cryptography <laughs> and hash functions. But even for the layman. Not the most exciting. But no, yeah. but even for the layman, now you have a baseline of 
there is all this stuff that goes back into it mm-hmm. that makes it secure. You don't just have to take my word for it. Right. And when you can tie it back to real world applications, I think for me, at least that's what makes it cool because yeah, the math is boring. And if you want to look at the elliptic curve and plot that out, you can do that. Mm -hmm. But when you put it towards a real world application, so you say now anybody in the world just through downloading an app can have bank level security or better than bank level security to store their own funds and be able to participate in the, you know, have that economic inclusion that most people around the world don't have. That's, that's the revolution and that's the promise. And, um, I was texting with my brother this morning and he was like, well, what about this? Are you concerned that, you know, this company is going to be adopting blockchain and this is going to make it irrelevant? No, because the decentralization Mm -hmm. that makes Bitcoin work is what is going to make every other type of blockchain, um, successful. So there's going to be some, centralized blockchains that are useful in some areas but the overall revolution mm-hmm. the you know the decentralization of it the miners are you know it's different in different systems but what makes it distributed and decentralized around the world that opens it up for innovation and for anybody to pers- participate in um, centralized organizations and companies you can't compete with that there's just can't even hold a candle to it so so nope, I'm not. I'm not worried about that. Okay. Whether it's Bitcoin or another decentralized cryptocurrency, it's not going to go away. You you can't compete with it. Yeah, no one's no one's going to be able to get a monopoly on that because so many people are already. Yeah, and they've you know Bank of America I think is uh, leading the way. They've have like over a hundred patents that they've applied for blockchain patents. But mm-hmm. again, they they're, they're going to have to comply with all the U.S. regulations and laws and know every customer, every endpoint and outpoint of every transaction. And even then, they won't be able to, you know, perform the same way that a uh, decentralized system will be able to, or offer the same advantages. So yeah, so and that's kind of just another case of of if you're playing by the rules, it's a lot more rewarding than right. it is to try to go against the system. Yeah, and if even if they were to come up with something, it, it was Western Union. Um, they're trialing uh, Ripple's payment system right now. Mm-hmm. But when I think about that. Because they, Ripple has done this with uh, several other large banks, governments. They were just working with, uh, the, I think, the Central Bank of Japan, and now they're working with uh, the UAE Central Bank. But they're not going to adopt that technology because it basically undercuts everything. that they, Their whole profit model is acting as a middleman and charging people. <laughs> if they implement a decentralized blockchain, they're basically just cutting themselves out of the picture. There's no reason... <laughs> you know, for them to exist. So, you know, at least that's my opinion on it. That's why I don't think uh, Ripple has a lot of hype around it. And they've been trialing with a lot of big, you know, banks, governments. But so far, no one has actually picked up their technology. Because I think when they try it out yeah. and they go, wait a minute, where, you know, where do we get a cut of this? <laughs> we can't, we're not going to be able to afford to operate anymore. That's going to be, that. that's part of the whole paradigm shift of now, what is your new profit model? Right. That's the the, the possibilities are, are. I don't even. I don't even know. We're so still such early days. Yeah, it is really really early days still. So that's the hard thing to wrap your head around. Is it is. Yeah, there's these blockchains that are being built. Uh, WAN chain's a good example. Um, they're building financial infrastructure that's open and decentralized that anyone can build on top of. So the applications and the things 
that are going to happen in finance, we can we can guess at. But mm-hmm. the same way we didn't know, you know, when we thought about the internet in the early '90s or computers in general, yeah, you know, we couldn't imagine that you'd have a smartphone in your pocket and have, you know, FaceTime the and world in my pocket and everything <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah, but I guess taking it back to the security part that we're talking about Mm -hmm. that is why the big companies are trying to get not because they're just trying to copycat bitcoin right it's because that actual the blockchain is such a good technology that they see the usefulness in it they see the security they see it'll save them time money security issues yeah i think so they're they're looking at at least they're curious about it and a lot of them have changed their tune recently uh jp morgan just released a um i don't know if it was like a 50 page powerpoint um, talking about blockchains, and they're actually saying, that, "Hey, this—I don't think this is going to go away. This is looking like it <laughs> could be really promising." But again, it's kind of a catch twenty-two because if they adopt some aspects of it and yeah. try to incorporate some of it, well, what's to stop people from just going that next step? And you know, why would you want to go through J.P. Morgan Coin uh-huh. and giving them a cut of it or whatever when you can use a different model that's completely decentralized that they're not necessarily trying to make a profit uh-huh. off of you? And it's open to better innovation and probably better security <laughs> through a different model. So they're kind of at a at a. So if you point. if you if you decentralize it, you're losing some of that security. Um, no, no. How do you mean? Well, I mean, so so because part of because uh, we were talking about mining. That's mm-hmm. that's actually part of the security of it because you have the private key, the, the public key, and you have all these different people working on right keeping it. All in line. Mm-hmm. Um, bad use of words, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I got you, though. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But when you are centralizing it to just this one company that's using it more as a like an intra-web, right. there's not as many... They're holding the ledger. Right. So I think I misheard you or misunderstand you. Okay. You said when... Decentralization. Uh, well, centralizing. Yes, yes centralization yes, centraliz- creates more of a security risk. When yes. you decentralize, you make the I system... I said it wrong. More robust, more secure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So right. So if you de- if you centralize it, right, then it's just one entity working on it, and it's mm-hmm. a lot more. Because the the part of the security is the fact that it is decentralized. That so many people are working on this. Right. There's no one particular attack vector. You would have to go after each person individually, which is. Like we're talking about the current, uh, you know, security business model of banks and, and big companies, they put everybody's data all together. So uh-huh. if you, once you're in, you have everything. So, <laughs> kind of like okay, so in the, in our world of terrorism that we live in now, mm-hmm. we have a power grid that has a whole bunch of power generating stations, but you could knock one out and that could knock the whole grid out or at least a large portion of the grid, where if you had a decentralized grid where everybody has solar, wind, right. batteries, their own fire pit, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But if it's all over the place, and you're you're not going to be able to knock out millions of people just to de- knock the whole grid out. Yeah. You'd have to take all these tiny little hits to do it, where the current model that we're dealing with with banks is they're one big nuclear power plant, and you can shut the whole grid down just by going after them. Yeah. It's pretty. It's a pretty good analogy. Okay. Yeah. It's sloppy, but it's good. I, guess. <laughs> I think it works. <laughs> Hope you guys get the point. Yeah. <laughs> I do. If I do anything, I do sloppy. <laughs> Man. So yeah, that's that's such an expansive 
conversation. You know, honestly, I, I think we made it about 10 meters down in our dive. <laughs> mm, yeah, we didn't get... It, it's pretty deep for the conversations we've yeah. had the last three episodes. Yeah. I think we'll go deeper as we as we progress. Deeper and deeper still. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about some smart contracts and interoperability of blockchains, loop ring, things like that as Man. we uh, go on, so... Sounds but good to me. Hopefully you guys have a little bit better understanding of the the security model that cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin are trying to create, how they're creating that security, and um, a little bit more about mining and, and how transactions are actually moving around. Yeah, math makes you safe. It does. It's better. I trust math more than I trust people. Yeah, math doesn't have motives. That's what it comes down to. Do I trust <laughs> math and cryptography, or do I trust banks, organizations, corporations, people to keep it safe? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I feel... Sp- safer having my assets protected by math than i do greed yeah uh short short answer yeah (laughs) i agree so i know we kind of just scratched the surface with the deeper dive we just did i know it's a little bit deeper than what we've been doing but i hope you guys enjoyed it uh that's probably going to generate a lot of questions a lot of feedback for it so so. please give us that feedback yeah if i missed the mark i'm sure i wasn't 100 percent on but if um, i misspoke or something let me know Uh, And we'll go back and and address it maybe on the next episode. So Yeah, definitely. Well, hey, always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Corey. Let's keep it up. Well, I guess that'll about wrap it up for episode four of Clearly Crypto. Yeah, it was a deep dive, but thanks for hanging with us. Heck yeah, guys. Uh, So remember, if you like the show... Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Telegram. Email us at clearlycryptopod at gmail.com. Also, if you found us on iTunes, give us a five-star. Give us some feedback on that. If you like the show and you want other people to hear it, that's probably going to be the fastest way to get our name out there. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. There you go. Spread the word. This is all grassroots stuff, so get it out there. Uh, Hopefully, you guys are learning some stuff and you can uh, help others to learn because the future is clearly crypto. It's coming. It won't be stopped. The more you know, the more power you have. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed the first four episodes. We're going to be back at you with more in hopefully a month or less. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I know we still haven't decided on a a hard recording schedule, but we do it when we can. That's right. We'll get there. So no more than a month. We'll make that promise. Hopefully more 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 episodes than, than one a month, but no more than a month before we come out with the next one. Yeah. So can we do that? Sure. Let's go for that. Let's All shoot right. for it and see what happens. <laughs> All right, guys. So thanks. Okay. And, thanks, uh, Corey. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. And uh, we'll see everybody see next, time. next time. So remember, keep your eyes on all that social media, and we'll let you know when the next episode's coming out. In the meantime, re-listen to all four episodes. That'd be good for you. Yeah, it would. All right, guys. The proceeding was an Acorn production. All opinions expressed are those of the hosts alone. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. We'd love to hear from you. If you enjoy the show, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Telegram, or email us at clearlycryptopod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.